As we know, it's always, always good to, to prepare our hearts to, to hear and, and receive God's word. Um, as you said, my name is AJ. If you don't know me, I'm one of the, the lay elders here at Restoration Road Church. So it means basically non, non-staff pastor or elder who is here. Uh, during the, well, most of the year, I teach high school science and, and Bible at Cedar Park Christian School, um, which that has wrapped up, which is nice. So there's more time to, well, to be with, with my own kids. Kind of just trade one kids for the other, and then lots of work and, and, uh, and getting to serve and, and be at church. Um, it's great, great blessings. This morning, uh, I have the privilege to walk through uh, Psalm 73 with you. <clears throat> we'll, read, we'll read the whole thing in a moment, uh, but first, I'm just going to start off just considering really what the opening line tells us, that truly God is good. Uh, and you can say kind of overall that's what the psalm is about, but I mean, realistically, that's, that's pretty much what, what the whole Bible is about, uh, so it doesn't give you that much insight. But just considering that off the bat, truly, God is good. And when we really stop and think about it, and we know that, <clears throat> we can think about even, even just getting up in the morning, like that, that was the mercies of God, like that's a good thing, that we get, to, we get up, we've made it here. Uh, you know, it's the moment, a, <clears throat> a beautiful day. And even if it does rain, well, that's still good in the sense that it helps to bring life. Like the, Little things like that even that are good, and then you start getting into more of the, the mercies and graces of God. You can think about you know, a personal testimony and, and the work that God has done. You can think about tough trials and, and what he has done. And, and obviously, we can think about the cross and just what God has done for us in saving us and redeeming us. So there are I mean, a lot of good things about God, and we know that that is true. But do we always believe that? Like we know it, and there are definitely seasons where we, we feel it, but do we always? As we know that sometimes our, our head and our heart don't always connect together. We know that God is good, but sometimes there's those seasons or those moments where that seems hard to believe. We know there's a lot of brokenness in the world. There's a lot of things that don't go the way that, that we want or the way that we think they should go. A lot of times that we're striving and working and doing things and, and maybe even laboring in prayer for something, and we don't see it come to fruition, or we don't, we don't see it answered the way we want, or just don't necessarily see the answer at all. We can grow in discouragement. We can grow in despair. We can grow in weariness, wondering if there's any effect or any purpose. Like, why? I remember praying for my dad, and he was lost for a long time, and just thinking, like, What's the purpose, God? Like, why am I even praying anymore? Because I don't see any fruit from this. Like, there are times in our lives where those things will happen. So we think about that, and we think about those types of questions, those wrestlings, those doubts, where when we're honest, like, do we always believe that God is a good God? They're honest, raw questions that can plague our hearts sometimes, and questions that, that I would say we all have at different times and at different seasons. We don't always admit it, because that's one of the things that can be embarrassing to admit when we're struggling, because it feels like a struggle in our faith, and it can be hard to show vulnerability, uh, hard to admit that we're questioning God, we're questioning his word. But realistically, those are things that may uh, be plaguing us at different times, and that we may be wrestling with uh, those types of thoughts and emotions. And, And it's good to acknowledge them, and it's even better to work through them, to take them to the Lord. It's one of the reasons I love the Psalms, the honesty and the emotions that we find in this book. 
uh, a lot of rawness poured out to God, a lot of emotions just put out there. And really, you see people like the writers just showing their trust in God and opening themselves to them, just knowing that he is good and he's going to respond with patience and with righteousness. So Psalm 73 is one of those types of psalms uh, that is refreshing and encouraging. As we see, it's going to be Asaph, the, the author, writing about some of his discontentment and some of his questions. And, and then in the end, he's going to help to teach us how to, to rest content even when the faithless around him seem to be prospering and seem to have things well, and he doesn't. Uh, quick note on that. I mentioned Asaph was the writer of this. Uh, so he was what they believe one of the disciples of King David. So, uh, so I know David wrote a lot of the Psalms. This one was not his, but Asaph, they believe, was one of, one of his disciples. So he's going to walk us specifically through envy and discouragement, and then he's going to lead us to the remedy for that, which is what we find in God. One other thought, something I think is really cool with this and other psalms is how they're written to be songs in the sense that they would sing them together. So Asaph's writing, as it is a personal struggle, he writes it purposely with the idea that, that he is assuming that the others around him are having the same struggles. So he writes this so that they can sing together and they can sing of their struggles and sing of their questions, sing that together, and then come to the Lord together. So let's read, let's read Psalm 73, uh, and then we'll, we'll break down a little bit more. So Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace and violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me, a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was a beast. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have, have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. Perish. 
you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So taking a look at verse 1 again and thinking about that. Verse 1, truly God is good to Israel, to all those who are pure in heart. And like we said, we know that deep down. We know that truly God is a good God. And the Israelites, who he's talking about here, knew of his goodness. They had, they had not only obviously seen parts of it in their life, but they were commanded to write different, different you know, especially the big acts like the Exodus, to write that uh, and, and to teach it to their children and to sing praises of that and to and even have celebrations. They were commanded to remember his goodness, to celebrate it, to sing it, to do all of those things. So for them, they knew like God had redeemed them from slavery in Egypt. He had sustained them through their wanderings in the desert, delivered them into the promised land, and they had promised to establish a kingdom forever through King David's line. So there was, at that point when he was writing, and still is, we know, a lot to be thankful for and a lot to hope for. We can apply the same, the same thing to our lives, where you know, they, they may have remembered at that point their salvation from the Exodus, or in the Exodus, where we know we have salvation through Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. Taking the penalty that we deserve, rose from the grave, defeating sin and death, receiving, so we receive an inheritance that we don't deserve. God pours out his grace on us abundantly, really on a daily basis. We just take a moment and think about how much we really have to be thankful for and how good God is. We who once were lost now have redemption. We have been saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And he promises to return. He promises to make all things right that are wrong right now to establish his everlasting kingdom in which we are heirs through Christ. Really a lot of the same promises that, that they had at the time of Asaph's writing, we have seen some of those promises fulfilled in Christ already, which is even more to be thankful for, and still some of those coming to fruition, the completeness of it is Christ's second coming. We have a good God. But, like Asaph, we often stumble or slip Verses 2 and 3 remind us that God's goodness can be easy to miss or easy to forget. Asaph said, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. For I was envious, so jumping a little bit, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There's an acknowledgement here of God's goodness, but then a confession. Like he knows God is good, but then there's the confession that his faith is failing. As he turns his gaze, not, not to God, but turns them to these wicked but prosperous group. He's saying, I know the Lord is good, but, but look at these guys. They aren't doing anything right. They're living however they want, and yet they're still living the life. Like They seem to have all that they want and things that I would like and things that I would enjoy. Like why, why am I here sacrificing and suffering and being mocked for nothing? Like He says, like, in vain when they are getting all of these great things. It's kind of is, is this, this sense that you know, shouldn't, shouldn't they be the ones to have the hard life and the suffering, and shouldn't I be the one to have the ease and the wealth and the prosperity? And the more Asaph stares, the more his envy grows. And just as a, as a side note, the idea of envy, I made sure I looked this up a little bit, the idea of like envy and jealousy so envy, according to Merriam-Webster, is defined as discontented longing for someone else's advantage. 
So that is you're discontent because somebody else has something that you want. So that's what's causing him to stumble is he is seeing other people, and specifically the unrighteous, has the things that he wants. One of the tricky things with envy is sometimes it's hidden in a way that we don't even realize it. Like sometimes we have this discontent or this longing for these earthly things, and it may be even infiltrating our hearts without us even really coming to realize it. And that's why it's important to to pay attention to some of the warning signs and what we'll get into here, taking these things to God. So we'll hit a little bit more of that in a moment. So after that, Asaph ends up going on a long discourse as he focuses on the wicked and all the things that they have and all the things that they do. One I highlight in particular in verse 12, where he says, they're always at ease and they increase their riches. And I I think those are two good ones that that sum it up, but this idea, always at ease. It's like this peace and this easiness that they have. there's this, this common idol for comfort. Not that comfort and, and ease is always a bad thing. You don't have to be in turmoil and hardness your whole life. You can embrace those, those kind of easier seasons where you're resting for something bigger. But he's, this, he's looking at this with envy, like, I want that ease. I want that comfort. And those riches, those things that they have. And it's easy. So as he does this, start to, starting to miss God's goodness because he's fixed. I mean, his eyes are just fixed on the things of this world. Even though his head acknowledged God is good, his heart, and I'd say largely because of where his eyes are focused, are leading him in a different direction. Pointing to their well-fed bodies, their lack of trouble, their increased riches. As he stares, their worldly pleasures, he becomes sick with envy. He's distraught. You can get that sense. He's distraught. He's frustrated, and he's idolizing their possessions. Focusing so much on what they have, he loses sight of what God has given him, and in that, his discontentment grows. It reminds me of the the so-called American dream. Anyone can achieve anything, and kind of this notion of the American dream has come to mean to, to achieve a life where you have a lot of success. You have, in this sense, like you're, you're well-fed. You're at ease and you're comfortable. You're wealthy. Like you have all that you could ever have wanted. And there's this idea that that's going to bring you happiness and joy in the end. And our consumeristic culture tells us this regularly. They tell us that we need these things. We deserve these things. That these things are going to bring us that happiness and joy that we long for. And the more we're fed the lies the more we may begin to believe them, which even on that note is why it's really important to watch what you're consuming. We can begin to believe that it's these earthly things that are going to bring us the happiness that we long for or the joy that we long for. And we can begin to buy into the prosperity gospel even. This idea that with enough faith and a good enough God, then all of this could and should be ours. That's kind of the sense I get from Asaph here. It's like, I'm faithful, God, so why would you not give me these things? Like, why am I not prospering? Why am I not at ease? Like, I'm faithful. Shouldn't I be blessed with these earthly things, these treasures? With our prosperity, we often feel like our difficulties or our stress may be relieved and go away. Like, we look to that as the source of really source of salvation. We looked at that as the thing that's going to bring us the joy and save us from the different troubles of this world. Here sometimes, like if I could only make this much more money, then I'd be happy. If I could just free myself from this kind of trouble or free myself from all this stress, then I could be happy. 
Understandably, we grow in frustration when we don't get it. And we are tempted to either redefine or even to forget God's goodness, like Asaph here, and we can begin to doubt God as we don't get what we, what we want. We can think, if God loves me, then why would he withhold these things from me? He's omniscient, meaning he knows everything. So then he knows it'll make me happy. He knows I could do great things for his kingdom if I had more riches and more stuff, more avenues, more opportunities. And he knows that if I'm free from worries and stress, well, then my mind and my, like, my time and everything can be free to help serve him better and I'll be more productive. Like, I don't have these things. Does, does God actually love me? Is he listening to me? The glimmers of this world tend to disorient our hearts. As we question God's goodness, as he seemingly withholds these earthly treasures from us, the salt in the wound then comes in the fact that so many non-Christians around us may be getting the blessings we want. That's Asaph's story here. You may see people rejecting God, yet they're getting that dream house that you've always wanted. They may get the promotion that you would hope for, or the car that you always wanted. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, it's marriage. They have a happy marriage while yours is struggling or maybe non-existent. They readily have kids while you struggle with infertility. Or they seem relaxed and peaceful without a care in the world while you live a life full of stress as you make sacrifices trying to serve and trying to do what, what God has called you to do. All these things we've hoped for that we're not only being denied, but seeing ungodly people live our dream and enjoy our treasures, the treasures that we often think we, we need or possibly even deserve. As we said, frustrating and discouraging. This is going to lead to discontentment. We question God's goodness and sovereignty. We cry out asking if he's even listening. And in the end, we're left disheartened and weary, weary. As verse 16 says, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. And it is tiring. And we know that. We wrestle with this. We wrestle with it. And like he's saying, he's trying to understand this. He's looking at everything. And, and part of me thinks like he's trying to understand what's going on around him, but then possibly even questioning his own heart. And like, what is happening? What is going on? Like, I had this expectation. What, God? And it just leads to weariness. So what do we do with that? As we start trying to, to work through this, as we feel burdened or wearied and discontent, well, the author tells us that just trying to understand it itself and on our own is not going to work. He gives us the solution in the next verse, in 17. So it was weary, or he felt wearisome, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. We take it all to him. Our desires, our struggles, our doubts, our joy, whatever it is we have, whatever we feel, we take that to God. As Asaph tells us, he was weary in his envy until he came into God's sanctuary, into God's presence. God is the only true source of rest and the only true source of fulfillment for the human soul. In his presence, our hearts will be realigned to his since our hearts are in an everyday battle, this means we need to regular, regularly be getting into God's presence, into his sanctuary. So a few ideas to help us to do that, things like diving into scripture, 
on a regular basis has got to be an absolute must. When, even when you consider uh, Ephesians 6, I love Ephesians 6 and the, and the spiritual armor, we see that the one offensive weapon we have, the sword, is the word of God. That's what we have to fight this battle ourselves. God is all the other parts in the sense of God is our armor, our, his salvation or all salvation through him, his faithfulness, that helps to protect us as well. And then he gives us his word to hold on to to help fight also. So we must get into his word, meditate on it, remember it. It's being memorizing scripture as much as we can. If you haven't practiced that, I mean, even just start in little chunks, a good verse that you find encouraging and, and just start dwelling on that and just go over it throughout the week. Think about it, repeat it, get that stuck in your head. And that's, I mean, that's a great starting point because now we're starting to fix our eyes on Christ. We know that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion waiting to devour. So we've got to make sure that we are not going out unequipped. If we go out during our day or during the week thinking we can handle it, and we go out without the word of God in our, in our head and in our hearts, then we are just waiting to be devoured. We've got to protect our heart by clinging to our protector. On that note, as I was saying, remembering the promises God has given us, like yes, memorizing scripture, uh, but then also even just in general, just remembering the promises that he has given us. So I like the scripture specifically, because I, I, I mean, it's God's word, but then sometimes just remembering like the essence of, of what we're taught here. So things like we know that God is gonna walk with us through no matter what comes our way. That, you know, as we've seen in, in Psalms, through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil. We know God is with us. We know he is going to comfort us. We have a good, comforting God who is faithful to stand by our side. Remembering a promise like that is going to help us. Remembering that God is going to work all things to the good of those who love him and follow him. Like remembering that and trusting that can help us. So when things do seem to be going wrong, we can remember like, ah, but God is sovereign and he is good. Like, I know that. I've read it. I've seen it before. And, and I can trust that whatever it is that he is bringing me is something that is going to be good for me in the end, something that is needful. So I read a quote from John Newton recently that had, had said that kind of thing, where he had said, uh, was, everything is needful that God sends and nothing can be needful that he withholds. So something that you don't have well, probably because you don't need it. Because if you did need it, God would give it to you. That's good. I like that. And so we remember those things, and that helps us, that helps us just as we fight that spiritual battle through the day. Also, filling your head with his praises kind of sounds like the same thing again and again. Just, uh, maybe it is. Same thing in different ways. But filling your head with his praises, uh, with that, I think of like praising God. It's like remembering his promises, yes, but even just praising him for it, like thanking him. Like when you see something good, like, oh, thank you, God, for that. And filling your head with his praises, like the songs we sing here, absolutely fantastic and I, and I love. And those are those things where when I'm going throughout the rest of my day and I get those tunes stuck in my head, like that helps to, to realign my heart. It's so good. Uh, I mean, even it's, it's funny, like my, my youngest daughter, so she just turned six, and she, is, she has decided that, that every day we have to listen to This Is The Day, the first song we sung today. Because like each day is a new day, and now this is the day that the Lord has made. So we got to sing it again. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Like every morning, let's do it. So she told me I had to make sure I, I told Pastor Nate and Becky about that. So there you go. 
So filling our head with his praise is awesome, continually singing his word and having that stuck in our head. And then another one is gathering with fellow believers. Gather and worship together on Sunday. Yes, that's great. Also gather and worship together on other days as well. Just being in community with one another, checking on one another, encouraging one another. Whether we're getting together and having meals or whether even it's just a text message of how you're doing or, hey, I just, I just read this encouraging scripture, thought maybe it would help you too. Just things like that that we can do with one another to help build each other up and keep our eyes fixed on Christ. We are a body built up in Christ, and we need to stay connected and build each other up. We stay in God's presence as much as possible, and we help each other to do that. One other piece from verse 17 I wanted to hit. It said, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. So just a little piece on that also. is just a good reminder uh, that no matter how we live now, that this, this life is only temporary. There's going to be a judgment day, and there'll be an eternal dwelling place for us all. So as he is saying here, like these scoffers that the author is writing about, they may be living it up now, but then he realizes like, ah, but that's only temporary. Like that's not going to help them in the afterlife. And even what they have can be taken away in an instant, but more so and more importantly, the eternal aspect of it, that it's going to be a bleak ending for those who are cut off from the presence of God. Those who are cut off from his inheritance. And so he starts to realize, Asaph starts to realize like, ah, that's, that's a much bigger deal like seeing the big picture, like I really don't want what they have at this point because what I have in Christ is so much better. So as followers of Christ, I, I think of Philippians 3.14, we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So again, that idea of, of we keep our eye on the prize. So yes, we can get distracted by these earthly things. Like there's a lot of glittery things that can get our attention, but we keep our eyes fixed on this goal, this prize in Christ Jesus. We may have suffering now. We may be in want, but fixing our eyes on earthly things is just going to bring us envy and discontentment. We fix our eyes on Christ, and we find contentment in whatever God brings us, knowing that we have an eternal glory waiting for us on the other side of this life. We may not have all that we think we want now, but we will receive far better in Christ. We'll see far better in the sense that our expectations will be blown away. So let's not get distracted by what's around uh, the, the earthly things. Let's not get caught up in envy. Don't let our hope get diluted by these distractions. We have a Savior who has died for us, who's died for our sins, defeated death by rising from the grave, and gives us his blessed inheritance for eternity. And that is far better than anything else anyone may have. It's in the sanctuary of God that our author Asaph turned his focus back to God and has his soul renewed. An extra piece to that, he says in verses 23 to 24, you hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you receive me to glory. So I love that because like, he goes into the sanctuary. So yes, like he's taking steps forward. He goes in the sanctuary. He goes into God's presence. But it's this reminder that our God is the one who is the faithful shepherd, who is shepherding us, who is our wise counselor, that it is the grace of God and his help that we need. So it's not Asaph alone who is getting his heart right, but he gets himself into God's sanctuary, he gets himself into God's presence and really postures himself in that sense to where he then can allow God to be at work in him. It's God who holds his hand, God who guides him. 
at God who receives him to glory. We posture ourselves, posture ourselves before God, prayer, worship, being in God's word. When we do that, we humble our hearts, putting ourselves in a position for God to help renew our heart and mind. And in that, aligning our will with his. And it's essential that we humble ourselves before him and act with intentionality to draw near to God. Jesus gives us a great example of this. I wanted to share, I'm going to read uh, it's from the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, 36 to 39. Uh, I'll read that and explain a little bit where I think Jesus gives us a really good example of this, uh, which is just really cool where obviously we're getting, we're getting taught truths of the Bible and then we get this example where Christ himself walks it out, which we see often, one of the beauties of the Bible, the beauties of our God. So 26, Matthew 26, starting in 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, this is a great model for us to follow when our soul feels troubled in any way. Now, we know Jesus wasn't dealing with envy here, like our pastor's been talking about specifically, but his heart was troubled, as it says in verse 37 there. Jesus is about to walk the road to Calvary and bear the weight and punishment for our sins, which we know is an absolutely massive weight to bear. As the hour draws near, he begins to feel troubled and even sorrowful. So as he starts to feel troubled, what does he do with that? Like I read that, and like one of the things I thought of, I might expect that God wouldn't reveal his trouble. I mean, this idea, like, what, God? God is having trouble? Like that, you know, maybe that, maybe that caused a little bit of alarm. Or maybe, you know, what will people think if he admits that he's having trouble in that sense? But he doesn't. He's a good God. He's a humble God. And he knows. He knows. And so with that, he models humility and he models wisdom. In his time of trouble, Jesus surrounds himself with close friends, opens his soul to them, and asks for their help in spiritual warfare, asking them to pray with him. He then takes his trouble to his father in prayer and ultimately rests in his father's will. Like to say, like, I, my soul is troubled. I don't want to walk this path. Is there any other way? But if it's what you want, your will be done. He's trusting his father's will is sovereign, and good. So it may not be what he is at that moment wanting to do, but he ultimately, superseding will, wants, he wants to do the will of his father. He wants to do what is going to bring the most glory and the most good. And that's what he does. That's what he always does. So with that a great example, we see how much we need fellowship with one another. We need others to walk alongside us, speaking words of encouragement, praying on our behalf, we need to walk this Christian faith not alone, but as a body of believers. And ultimately, we take our troubles to God as Christ did here. No matter what they are, we can be honest with our doubts. We can be honest with our struggles. Nothing is going to catch God off guard, and nothing is too big for his mercy. It's when we try to keep them to ourselves and try to understand them ourselves that we become weary, as our text says today. Trying to do it on our own is going to be tiresome, it's going to lead down the wrong road and may lead our eyes to start focusing on the wrong things. 
But as we open up to God, he will help us to sort it out. He'll sort it out in our hearts and our minds as the Holy Spirit works within us. And it's incredibly freeing knowing that God is faithful to do that. It's not on us in the sense that we don't have to fix ourselves. We can just come to him and he's going to help realign our souls with his. Like Christ, stay near your body of believers. Stay even, even nearer to God. Be honest, be vulnerable, and he will be your strength and your refuge. One last thing I wanted to point out here from verse 28. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Proclaim the good works of the Lord. Proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. God's blessings are not meant to just terminate on us. After all, we are not the, the focus point of the Bible. We are blessed to be a blessing, to point people to him. Yes, enjoy God's goodness. Acknowledge it. Like, look for it. Remember it. I mean, even like journal, write the things down, like all the goodness, and go back to that. Of like, oh, yeah. Like, remember when this happened? That was so good. Remember those things. Enjoy those things. Find comfort in the refuge that you have in Christ. But don't stop there. Let it flow out of you. Share the hope you have and bring others to the saving grace of the Lord so they too may be freed from the bondage of sin. And continue to, walk, or to talk of his works within the body, reminding each other, encouraging one another of the goodness of the Lord. And in closing, just kind of tying together the beginning, the middle, and the end, just looking back, we see truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for us, our feet had almost stumbled until we went into the sanctuary of God. And so even though our flesh and our hearts may fail, God is the strength of our heart and our portion forever. It is good to be near God. So let's make the Lord our refuge and let's tell of all his works. Please pray with me. Lord, you are a good God. We thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your mercies, and we thank you for your patience, knowing that we can put it all out there, that we can be honest with you. And even though we may know that we're wrong, we can still say those things out loud, knowing that you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And I pray that you would give us the courage to do that. Help us to be vulnerable in prayer with you. Help us to be vulnerable with each other, that we would be willing to admit when we have struggles like this, and that through that, we would see you at work in our souls, we see you at work in our body, in our church, and that you would be using uh, all of us to help bring encouragement and to help realigning our hearts with you. Help us to be in your presence continually and to have a desire for you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.